0: Ah, good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. Job chapter 3 this morning. We are on the third of a seven-week worship series through the book of Job. Many might ask, how do you turn the book of Job into a worship series? Because worship is all about our heart. That's where our worship for God comes from. It comes from our heart. And God wants to set our hearts free so that we are unhindered in our worship of him. But we all know that throughout our lives, just as it was with Job, that there are seasons of our life and circumstances that come into our life that cause some heart issues, (laughs) that, that cause our hearts to struggle, And we need to learn how to get through those times in our life as well. And what we are learning is that through everything, we just need to hold on to God. Even when we're not doing well, we need to hold on to God. In week one, we saw in Job chapter one that the heart of worship would be tested, and it was. Satan basically came to God and said, well, the reason Job is the person that he is is because he's worshiping you without cost. You put a hedge of protection around him and you've blessed the work of his hands and he hasn't had any trials or any real hardship in his life. You take your hand of blessing off of him and you allow bad things to begin to happen to him even though he's this exceptional follower of yours He'll curse you to your face and he'll walk away from you and not look back. We all know what happened. That terrible, horrific things happened to Job. He lost everything that he ever had materially. All his wealth was gone in one day. And he lost all 10 of his children in one day. You and I have a hard time probably even absorbing what that loss, what that pain would have been like for Job. And yet, at the end of it all, Job did not curse God and walk away from him. Job said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Even in his pain, even in his brokenness, even when he wasn't okay, he still turned toward God and he held on to God. So last week we saw persistent Satan comes back and says, well, God, You haven't allowed me to touch him at the deepest level of his own being. Let's take away his own health. Let's take him from the mountaintop all the way down to to the landfill, which is where Job was with shards of pottery scraping off the sores on his body, and then he'll curse you and walk away. And we saw again, That at the end of chapter two, though Job was in so much pain and he was hurting and again experiencing all kinds of brokenness, after his wife said, Job, what good has your faith really done you? You just need to curse God and die. That Job said, shall we receive good from the Lord and not receive things that aren't so good? So Job continued to hold on to the Lord, even though he didn't know why he was going through such a horrific time. Now we come to chapter 3. This may be the most intense chapter, believe it or not, out of all of them, because at the end of chapter 2, we saw where Job's friends came from far countries and sort of sat with him and wept with him and just sort of were there with him For seven whole days, and none of them said a word. But at the end of that seven days, Job began to speak. And all of the hurt and all of the pain just began to roll out of Job. And I want us to go through this chapter today and just see exactly where Job was at. For a couple of reasons. One, to remind us, and this is very key here, you and I, no matter where we are with God and what we're going on with God, we always need to be honest about our feelings and emotions. We can't hide from God. And it's okay to express to God when we're not okay, even with him. In fact, many of the things that you're going to see Job dealing with here today, there would be many modern Christians who would say, that could never come out of a Christian's mouth. And I say Christian because Job, to me, was clearly an Old Testament follower of God. He was a person of faith. In fact, God even said, he's exceptional, he's noteworthy, People like Job are rare on the earth. So Job was not only a follower of God, he was a great follower of God. He was an exemplary follower of God. And yet Job, dealing with all that he was dealing with, and at this point, by the way, where is God in his pain? Up to this point, Job hasn't heard a word from God. God has absolutely been silent. And so Job begins to speak. And notice in chapter 3, verse 1, in the first 10 verses, the darkness that Job is in. And I want you to feel his darkness today. Because if you and I are honest, there's probably been times in our life where we were in dark places too, Can Christians suffer depression and be in dark places? Absolutely. If Job can experience it, any of us can experience it. And we need to be honest and be able to work through these times with God, which is what Job did. Notice Job opened his mouth in verse 1 and cursed the day he was born. He wished he would have never been born. And notice the darkness here. He says, let the day on which I was born, verse 3, perish, and the night that said a man has been conceived. Let that day, yeah, let it be darkness, because that's where Job's at right now. He's in a dark place. Let not God on high regard it. Let no light shine on it, verse 4. Verse 5, let darkness and the deepest shadow claim it. Let a cloud settle on it. Let whatever blackens the day terrify it. That night, let darkness seize it. You think Job's in a dark place? Yeah, he's in a really dark place. And yet, he's honest about where he's at. He's not trying to deny that he feels a certain way. He's not trying to hide that he feels a certain way. He's letting it out, and he's letting God hear all of it. He asked in verse 7 that the joy of the day of his birth be taken away. Let those in verse 8 who pronounce curses curse the day of his birth that the great sea monster Leviathan would swallow up the day of his birth. And then in verse 11, he not only curses the day of his birth in verse 1, he wished that he would have died the day he was born. He said, why did I not die at birth? And I want you to feel not only his darkness here, I want you to feel his pain. In fact, throughout this part of the passage, through verse 19, he always is wishing he'd have never been born. You ever been there? Where there's been times in your life that you not only maybe cursed the day you were born, but you wished you had never been born. Reason being, then, if I would have never been born, I would have never experienced the pain that I'm going through. It's all about escaping the pain. And so Job's reasoning in his mind, if I would have never been born, I would have never experienced this, I would have never had this pain in my life at all, and that's where Job's at. And then in verse 20, down through the rest of the chapter, he basically wishes God would just let him die now. Just take me where I'm at, guy, and just take my life. And by the way, he's not the only person of God that expresses these kinds of words to God. Remember the prophet Elijah? (laughs) Going through that same darkness and that same depression in his life, he sits there after the prophets of Baal and all of that on Mount Carmel, that great experience, and yet the, the darkness, if you will, the evil, the wickedness that he's dealing with, with Ahab and Jezebel, just won't quit. That just won't give up. And Job says, what good has my life been? Just take my life, God, and let me die. And notice throughout this passage, too, that Job continually is asking the Lord the question, why? The beginning of verse 11, why did I not die at birth? Verse 12, why did the knees welcome me and why were there two breasts that I might nurse at them? Verse 16, why was I not buried like a stillborn infant? Verse 20, why does God give light to one who's in misery? Verse 23, why is light given to a man whose way is hidden? Why, why, why? And why does Job feel this way? Let me share just a few reasons why. First of all, look at the word at the, uh, in the middle of verse 20. He's in misery right now. Verse 24, he is sighing because that's, in place of food, because he did not even feel like eating anything. Notice verse 24, he's groaning. And then I, I see this in verse 25, and maybe you felt like this. The thing that I feared the most would happen to me in life has happened. That's what Job says in verse 25. The one thing I dreaded, what I feared the most has come upon me. Here's a probing question. What is the one thing you fear the most to happen to you in your life? You say, oh, God would never let that happen. Because let's remember, here's part of the wrestling of all this. We can't say that God's not in this. He's actually very much at the very center of all this. He's allowed it to happen. He gave Satan permission to do it, you see. And yet Job has no idea why. And God hasn't said anything yet to him, hasn't revealed anything to him yet. But what I see and what I want us to see here this morning is that you and I, can never be healed of the things that our heart is dealing with, the things that are gripping our heart in a negative way or destructive way if we're not honest about it. That's where we've got to start. That's where Job started. He didn't try to hide his anger, his frustration, his pain, his darkness. He expressed it and said, God, this is where I am. That's the first thing. And the second thing that I want us to note today is this. God is never threatened by Job's questions. In fact, God welcomes them. He he allows Job to ask all these questions. He allows Job to ask why. In fact, you'll never see in the book of Job at all where God ever condemns Job for his doubt, for his despair. God never does that. God understands our vulnerability and our fragility as human beings, even if we're followers of God. He understands that we struggle with pain. Our despair does not shock God at all. See, the the Bible teaches that our God understands pain from a human perspective. In that God became a man, and that man, Jesus Christ, came to this earth and experienced pain himself. Spiritual pain, emotional pain, and physical pain. That's why the New Testament tells us we do not have a high priest, Jesus Christ, who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but in every way was tempted like we are, yet without sin. Jesus Christ, as a man, understands pain. In fact, you see this even in the picture of Jesus struggling in the Garden of Gethsemane. As the Bible says, he's so emotional that he's literally sweating great drops of blood and he's struggling with accepting this cup of separation that's going to come between him and his father when he takes upon himself the sin of the world on the cross as our redeemer. He says, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, Father. But then he says, but not my will. Yours be done. But I want us to see he struggled as a man. You know, prayer should always be the first resort. But let's make no mistake about it. Prayer doesn't always remove the trial. Think of Paul with his thorn in the flesh. He goes to God in prayer. And he finally realizes that God said, nope, not going to take that thorn away. And Paul finally gets to a place in his life where he accepts that thorn, but he doesn't get there immediately. It's a process. It's It's a struggle that Paul has to go through for a time to finally get to a place where he says, okay, God, I surrender, I accept it. Because God understands we will struggle with things that are painful. It's not normal. We wouldn't be looked at as normal if we pursued pain. Oh, that's painful? Then I want it. No. Most of the time, we'll do everything we can to avoid painful things, right? So God understands that in the midst of dealing with painful things, We're going to struggle, and we're going to be sometimes silent in our darkness and pain, but we're also going to hopefully speak out our darkness and pain, just like Job did, because it's the only way that our hearts can be resolved and healed by God eventually, and where we can struggle, but we can struggle through things always holding on to God and getting to a different place than where we are right now, because God wants to set our hearts free from all things, but the only way to do that is to be honest about our feelings and emotions and understand that God's okay with us expressing these things. He's not going to reject us. His love for us is unconditional, and, and, and he can take it all on. In fact, he would rather us just say whatever we are feeling truly to him because at least we're staying connected to him as we do it which is what this is all about. That's how we get to a different place, is we can never get there apart from him by disconnecting ourselves from God. But even in our darkest days, our most painful times in life, we are holding on to God throughout it all. And that's what we see happening here in Job chapter 3. You see the questions why that Job asks. And I want to bring us to now a different place in this message. And that is reminding all of us that wisdom isn't in knowing why, it's in knowing God. Wisdom isn't in knowing why, it's in knowing God. Knowing God is more important than knowing why. We want to know why, (laughs) We always want to know the purposes and and why things are happening and why God allowed this. Listen, God never tells Job why. Never. And I don't think we then can expect God to always give us an answer to the why. What God will do, as he did with Job, is take us through a season where our understanding of God and our knowledge of God increases. Even though God doesn't tell us why, we get a greater, deeper understanding of him. And that's where God wants all of us to get to. That's really that heart of worship that God wants to create in us. Is a heart that not only says God more than anything else I want to know you even if it means I've got to go through pain in order to to gain that knowledge but also to get to a place where if God doesn't ever tell us why we just learn to trust him and rest in him no matter what that's a true heart of worship so I want to take you first you keep your finger there in Job because we'll definitely come back But turn over to the prophet Jeremiah with me for a moment. The prophet Jeremiah, chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Great verses. Jeremiah, chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. The Lord says, wise people should not boast that they are wise. Powerful people should not boast that they are powerful. Rich people should not boast that they are rich. If people want to boast, they should boast about this. They should boast that they understand and know me. They should boast that they know and understand that I, the Lord, act out of faithfulness, fairness, and justice in the earth, and that I desire people to do these things, says the Lord. What is it God says we should boast about if we're going to boast about anything? That I know God. That I'm growing in knowing him. Not always knowing why, not always as a follower of God expecting to know why at any point, even throughout eternity, but knowing him. Job, I know I'm skipping way ahead, but in the very last chapter of the book, Job says, it has been through this experience, God, that I now see you in a deeper way than I ever did before. Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life. What? What what is eternal life, Jesus? That they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus said, I'll sum up eternal life, knowing God. I mean, knowing him. And the knowing here, both in the Old Testament, the word for know, and the know in the New Testament that's being used, like the same one that's used in Philippians 3.10 where Paul says, my one aim in life, my one goal in life is that I might know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings be made conformable unto his death so that I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. All those words for know speak about a firsthand experiential thorough, intimate knowledge. A knowledge that can only be gained as I hold on to God throughout my life and walk with him every day. It's that kind of knowledge. And basically, that's higher than everything. Not knowing why, but knowing God. And here's where We struggle. Would we choose a path that led to a greater knowledge of God if I knew it meant I had to go through pain? If we're honest, most of us would say no, right? And so that's why God allows painful things into our life because from God's perspective it's more eternally important for you to know me better than to miss your pain see this is where we even as followers of God we've got some soul searching and heart searching to do but yet you can understand that when God gets people there it's almost like we're, we're indestructible because then it's like, God, whatever you need to bring into my life or allow into my life, whatever, if it means I get to know you more, bring it on. I think that's why the early church was turning the world upside down because the early church was filled by a bunch of Christians that said, if I'm suffering for the Lord, that's a privilege. You want to throw me in prison? Fine, I'll, we'll just sing hymns and praise songs in there. You're not going to bother me oh i'm scourged for being a bully oh no worries somehow god's going to use that for my spiritual benefit and other people's too and that's exactly what god did with job right i mean thousands of years after job left this earth what are we doing you and i are still benefiting from the story and life of Job. and that's what god wants us all to see is you allow me to take you through sometimes some really hard things but you hold on to me and you respond positively it's not only going to benefit you but I'm gonna use your life and your story and your testimony to benefit other people too and bless them because let's remember a principle we've talked about since day one of this series and that is that trials and times like this are dangerous times for our souls, because the Bible tells us yeah We can get better through them, or we can become bitter through them. And we all know of people, maybe even some of us who are here watching live stream, you're there right now. It's all about our response to these things. Because again, the spiritual benefit is not automatically built in to this sermon series or to our trials and to our pain. It's how we respond to them. And you'll notice, Job isn't really in a good place right now, right? But he's still holding on to God. He hasn't stopped communing and communicating with God, even if he's saying some things that aren't very good, you see. Well, I want to take you now to the book of Romans, if you'll go there with me, to Romans chapter 11. because there's another principle that we need to address here today in this sermon, and that is, yes, the goal is knowing God, but we also have to get to this place even as a follower of God. There's still always going to be mystery to God and to the ways of God no matter how much I know about him. And i've got to be okay with that i've got to come to a place in my life where i'm okay that god never answers my why question or questions and where even throughout eternity he doesn't answer all of our questions and there's still a mystery to god because i think there's this faulty thinking amongst a lot of christians that when they get to heaven All their questions are going to be answered and God will never have anything mysterious about him ever again. And that's just not true. You and I are still, even in glory and in heaven, still creatures, creations of God. There's always going to be a separation between us and God. And nowhere is that more well articulated, I think, in the Bible than in Romans chapter 11... Look at verses 33 through 36. Paul says, oh, that's an exclamation of admiration. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how fathomless his ways. The word depth speaks about inexhaustibility, immeasurableness, incalculableness paul is saying there is a depth to god you and i will never get to yes the goal is knowing god more than knowing why but let's make no mistake about it even as i grow in knowing god there will always be a depth to god that you and i will never be able to reach because god is infinite He's inexhaustible. We will never get to the end of God, and we will never be able to figure God totally out. Even God said through the prophet Isaiah, my ways are not your ways, and you won't always figure me out. Now, there's three things that Paul points out here that are inexhaustible. There's more to God. Obviously, everything about God is inexhaustible and infinite. But first, he says his riches. It means the fullness of God's perfection. We'll never plumb the depths of God's perfections. Next is his wisdom, the supreme intelligence and insight that belongs to God alone. His knowledge, the knowledge of things which belongs to God alone. And then Paul says, how unsearchable are his judgments, how fathomless or incomprehensible his ways. There is a mystery to the ways of God and we will live with mystery every day of our lives even throughout eternity. Even there, there will be things about God and what God does that baffles us, that confounds us, that knocks us to our knees. And we will eternally be in awe and wonder of our God. Which is why he says in verse 34, Who has known the mind of the Lord? who has been his counselor, who has first given to God that God needs to repay him. But then notice what Paul does in verse 36. The fact that Paul can't figure God out makes him glorify God all the more. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. The heart of worship for Paul wasn't in figuring God out and putting God in this little box so that in his little human mind he had God right where he wanted him. No. You see, As we've said throughout this series and you even see it on a slide that is sort of advertising this series a God who is small enough to be understood is not big enough to be worshiped and that's what Paul's saying doesn't bother me that my God's greater than what I'll ever be able to wrap my mind around that doesn't bother me in fact that makes him even greater I don't want my God so small that me, this little puny human being, can figure everything out about him. I don't want a God that small. I want a God so great that I'll never be able to figure him all out or get to the depths of him. That actually brings greater comfort and greater encouragement to me because there's so much about God in this universe that I'll never be able to understand or comprehend completely. But I know God's got it. Because however mysterious things are to me, they're never a mystery to God. So if you go back to the book of Job, notice what Job says in verse 26. He says, I have no ease, (laughs) no quietness, and right now, no rest. That's where Job's at. And he's being honest before God. No ease, no quietness, no rest. You ever been there in a place in your life where something so consumed your mind and your heart, you literally could not rest? It, It just, it played on you continually? That's where Job's at. And if you ever feel like Job, Don't give up. Remember, Job came through this dark time. Yes, he was in a dark place right now. And it's okay not to be okay. But he didn't stay in that dark place. And God lets you and I say things like Job, even if they're not good things to say. Like I wish I would have never been born or I wish God would just take my life. Because remember, that whatever Job feels and wherever he's at right now, he's also still holding on to God. You hold on to God, too. That's the secret. That's what helps us get our hearts to a place where we can truly be set free and worship God like never before It's when you and I, even through the darkest days of our life on earth, through the deepest pain of our life on earth, we never let go of God. We hold on to Him. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song that's very familiar to end our time in the house of God this morning. It was a song written by a man who, like Job lost everything that he ever owned in the Chicago fire. Everything the man ever had worked for, all of his material wealth, everything, gone. So he sends his wife and four children, four girls, on a boat and ships them back to England, where he has in his mind, if we're going to start over, We're not going to start over here. We're going to start over back home there where we've got some family and friends who can help us back there start over again. Obviously, in those days, he didn't hear from his wife for several days, and finally he gets this telegram from her, saved alone, that on the way to England, The ship that his wife and four girls were on collided with another ship, and 200 people perished, including all four of his children. As Horatio Spafford got on the next boat from New York City to London, he asked the captain, can you point out to me where my four children drowned? And the captain did so. And it was when Horatio Spafford was sailing over the spot where his four children perished that he wrote, it is well with my soul. That in my pain of losing everything I ever had and even losing all four of my children in one day, God, I'm still going to hold on to you. maybe honestly you're not in a place where you can sing that today (laughs) that's okay that's okay but even in that would you still be willing to hold on to God say God I don't feel like singing that today I'm not in a good place okay again God's not threatened by that God will never condemn you for feeling that way, just as he did Job. But you just keep holding on to him. Because Job got through his darkness, and you will too if you continue to hold on to God. Would you stand with me and let's pray. Father, these are difficult things that we're dealing with in this book. But may we never forget that these aren't just.